Hello, my name is Rick Pearson, and this is Prophecy USA, a program specifically designed to unveil the hidden mystery of America's role in Bible prophecy. Prophecy USA has unveiled multiple ancient prophecies that are currently being fulfilled. But the big one-time event just around the corner is the great catching away of the bride. Nobody knows the time for this event to happen. So the question remains, are you ready if it happens sooner than later? Stay tuned and find out. Welcome back. Before we begin our lesson today, I'd like to remind you that every Thursday at 7 p.m. we have a Bible study podcast with live chat, answering many of the questions our viewers have. You can join us at our website or you can send us your email address and we'll be sure to send you our weekly link and occasional news updates. Just go to mail at prophecyusa.org. You know, in the past TV programs, Prophecy USA has unveiled hundreds of scriptures regarding global prophecy, current events, a fulfilling prophecy, and how prophets were called, what they said then and there, and how it applies to us in the here and now. Our focus, although global, has mainly pointed to the USA and the role she has played in the end times. The covenant nation of America, in our minds, meets all the criteria for fulfilling Babylon the Great's end-time activities. She's definitely been a golden cup in the hand of the Lord and reaped all the materialistic blessings as the prophets foretold. But according to Scripture, she's going to also reap the other seeds that she has sown. People who would disagree with us sometimes accuse us as being doom and gloomers, fear mongers, and negative interpreters of Scripture with an apocalyptic edge yearning for disaster. We do not believe those opinions to be accurate of our research. For every verse that promises blessings, if you obey His voice, there are three verses that warn of what will happen if you break the covenant with God. Whether you obey His word or disobey His word, there are guaranteed consequences. Rabbinical sages wrote that the power of blessing and cursing is in your hands. You have free will to carry on with either. You can choose blessing or you can choose evil. So where does that leave us today? If the USA has broken covenant and refuses as a nation to turn back to God, obviously the verses of coming judgment will be fulfilled. But when judgment fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot came out. When the rain came down on Noah, because of his covenant, Noah's family went up. What should we be doing as a covenant people if we know that judgment is coming to a covenant nation who has crossed the tipping point? In the book of Revelation, Jesus specifically gave us instruction of what not to be doing. So listen to this. In his admonition to the seven churches, or groups of believers, Jesus said, I know your works. He was speaking to practicing Christians who were serving in the churches, and just as he warned them 2,000 years ago, 
he warns us today. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. God is calling you and me to separate ourselves from those sins that oppose God's moral protocol. It is obvious God does not want his people to face his wrath. To each church he speaks to, he already knows their works. However, Jesus warns his followers of the sins that could literally void their escape of Babylon's coming wrath. The first group Jesus warns are the believers in Ephesus. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Closely resembling the believers in Ephesus were those in Sardis. Jesus warns, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. In contrast to the believers in Sardis, doers of the word were found in the next church Jesus addressed, which was found in Smyrna. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Another group of believers Jesus spoke to lived in Pergamos. They are the fourth group of believers that will be evident within Babylon before God fulfills every prophecy the ancient prophets foretold. But I have a few things against you. You practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. To the one who conquers, I will give him a new name. Like Pergamos, the believers in Thyatira also had a problem with sexual immorality, but in dealing with the results of unwanted children, they entered into Baal worship. I know your works, your love and faith, and service and patient endurance, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into a great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Although many of the sins mentioned in these passages have to do with adultery and immorality, perhaps the church of Laodicea represents the greatest temptation for all believers living within Babylon the Great, and it has to do with their wealth. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Finally, out of all the believers that Jesus rebukes, we have one group 
representing only 15% of believers who Jesus promised a great reward is awaiting them. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. You have kept my word, and you have not denied my name, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. Wow, folks. I don't know about you, but I certainly don't want anyone to seize my crown. You know, Paul warned us to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Weight in this verse means hindrance. Besets means to control us. Paul is saying, let us remove every hindrance that is controlling us. Why? Because those hindrances are preventing God's covenant blessing from flowing both to and through you so that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal body. You know, at the time of the writing of the book of Revelation, Jesus warned the first century Christians, and he warns believers today, to untangle themselves from specific sins that will prevent them from reaping the blessings of God. We're living in the last days, but we're also living in the most prosperous, powerful, and providential covenant nation in the history of the world. We know what the prophets foretold. We know that America has already fulfilled 53 prophecies, all given by the ancient prophets, who in today's standards would be called doom and gloomers. Nobody except those who hate America wants to see judgment come to America. But it does not matter what we want. It only matters what God's Word has already said. He's watching over His Word to perform it. And he has spoken it. He will bring it to pass. He's purposed it. He'll also do it. You know, throughout our books and study guides and TV program, Prophecy USA has consistently showcased the biblical description of Babylon the Great. And the only country in the history of the world that has met every description is the United States of America. We've also showcased the seven types of believers that Scripture says will be found in the last days. Babylon the Great is the last kingdom to appear before the new world order begins. And because Scripture blatantly warns us, come out of her, my people, partake not in her sins nor in her plagues. We can easily surmise from this that these seven types of believers will exist not only before the rapture be is, takes place, but specifically will take place in Babylon. Nobody knows the day or the hour of her plagues or judgment that will come. But when the appointed time comes, it will be over in a one-hour period, according to Scripture. Folks, this is coming whether we want it or not. So our only option is to get our house in order and follow Jesus' commandments. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you might be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. So can, how can anyone pray always? The word prayer can also be defined as to meditate or think about God always. If you go to church, sit in a pew, or think about everything else than what the preacher is teaching, or when you get out of church and the last thing you think about is God, you just might be an Ephesus believer. This is what Jesus warned the believers of Ephesus about. They'd lost their first love. 
He said, in essence, there was a time when God placed first and foremost in your life. Before you made decisions, you meditated on it. Before eating a meal, you blessed it. When you were making plans for the future, you prayed about it. To those of us who have forgotten our first love, let's make a conscious effort to keep God first and foremost in our lives in all we do and say. After all, practicing the presence of God is not that hard to do. He's already with us and in us all the time, whether we acknowledge that fact or not. Neither be thou dismayed, he told Joshua, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So why not take advantage of his presence? After all, he's the best friend you'll ever have, and that friendship will last an eternity. We know that God wishes above all things that you prosper and be in health. And his plans for your life are even better than what you maybe can plan for yourself. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. But many Ephesus believers might say, it's impossible to pray always. How can I keep God constantly on my mind with kids, work, chores, and the mundane day-to-day tasks at hand? You know, Jesus addressed that issue directly to those of us who are Sardis believers. These are believers who were doing works for their own benefit rather than allowing God to work through them to serve others in need. Jesus called their efforts dead works. Several years ago, I had this same mindset. I just graduated university and my dream of being a pilot, flying missions and being involved in ministry came to a a definite halt. I was refused a U.S. work permit and sent back to my hometown to work in my father's business. The last place I wanted to live and the last job and person I wanted to work for. I was very distraught at the time when after four years of university and acquiring my commercial pilot's license, that my job assignment was to sweep out 150 new buses for customer deliveries. My first thought was, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Until I began to recall men in the Bible. You know, Moses had a rod, Gideon had a fleece, Samuel had a horn of oil, David had a slingshot. Every man in scripture that God used were ordinary people just like you and me. And then I discovered this verse, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in signalness of heart, fearing God and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You know, Moses was asked, what's in your hand? And I ask you the same question. What has God put in your hand that you can serve others with? Is it a wrench to fix a car? A menu to serve a meal? A scalpel to remove a tumor? a computer to buy some stocks, or perhaps he's called you to one of the highest callings any woman can have. You have a diaper to change a baby and wisdom to raise a child. Whatever it is that you find in your hand, use it as unto the Lord. Serve others with the mindset that you are serving him. Ask him to come into your job, your business, your home, your finances, and be a doer of the word 
not just a hearer. The third group of believers Jesus talked about are apparently in a very good relationship with God. However, that relationship and the lifestyle they lead actually incites persecution against them. Like a bug being drawn to the light, opposition in walking with God is inevitable. There's a saying that if you don't bump into the devil head on, there's a good chance he's walking right along beside you. Anyone who has an assignment from God can verify that statement. The surprising thing we have found, however, in our ministry is who Satan uses to oppose us. It's interesting to note that Scripture's description of the believers in Smyrna includes a reference to the synagogue of Satan that persecuted them. In the New Testament Greek, the word used for synagogue means a house of assembly or a gathering place. An assembly can denote religious, political, or even social activist houses of assembly, wherever people assemble and gather a groupthink or common ideology is considered a synagogue. This, of course, happens when all religious, social, or political parties whose members are like-minded and have common values. However, the Babylonian system that is rising within our church culture poses the greatest threat of persecution. It begins with name-calling, and according to Scripture, Babylon will be judged by persecuting Christians. So if you decide to stand on biblically-based principles, you're going to be called the homophobic, Islamophobic, racist, or a capitalist. And of course, if you stand up for the rights of the unborn children, they will tell you you have a war on women. However, Jesus warns us that those who miss the rapture will go into the tribulation period and will suffer the greatest persecution by those closest to them. And ye shall be betrayed by both parents and brethren, kinsfolk and friends, and some of you they shall cause to be put to death and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. You know, interesting enough, that is exactly what people did in Nazi Germany when they discovered family members, friends or relatives who were hiding the Jews. Folks, the little bit of verbal persecution on this side of the rapture is well worth it compared to what is promised to come on the other side. So let's get rid of every hindrance that so easily besets us. The fourth group of believers we need to examine is that of Pergamos believers. But I have a few things against you, for you practice sexual immorality. You also have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. To the one who conquers, I will give him a new name. It's extremely difficult today in our Babylonian culture to try and explain that any sexual activity outside the bonds of holy matrimony between a man and a woman violates biblical moral protocol. Now, why is that? Because almost everyone who is single is practicing it. In our Babylonian culture, not only is sexual immorality, as explained in Scripture practice, it's very much encouraged among activist groups who oppose biblical dogma and verbally persecute Christians and our beliefs. In fact, in Canada, conversion therapy, as legislation has termed it, is banned because it might cause stress or anxiety to those who desire to live outside the stated biblical limits of moral protocol. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Be not deceived, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, rivalers, 
nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. However, there are no laws banning persecution of those who want to live within those biblical values or warn others of the eternal consequences. Freedom of religion has now been inverted to freedom from religion. And we at Prophecy USA do not hate anyone who has a lifestyle that contradicts how we interpret Scripture. However, it's our job to warn believers on this side of the rapture what Scripture says. The Nicolaitans in this verse represents leaderships within the church who teach believers it's okay to live a lifestyle outside of biblical moral protocol. Now, believers of Thyatira, they go one step further into the darkness than those of Pergamos. They actually partake in the forbidden religion of Baal worship. They follow a Jezebel spirit teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into a great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart and will give to each of you according to your works. Thyatira believers have followed after the teachings of Jezebel. She practiced the religion of Baal worship, which included sacrificing children to the god of Moloch for the reward of financial blessings. The shedding of innocent blood in Scripture is the final straw that breaks the camel's back and guarantees judgment to fall on a covenant nation. The good news is that if you've personally participated in that activity of shedding innocent blood, 2,000 years ago, innocent blood was shed for you. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to forgive us from all of our unrighteousness. So let's not forget, Jesus warned us of these sins. And he did that not to condemn us, but that through him, we might have forgiveness and walk into the blessings that he has stored up for those who love him. We've now covered five out of seven groups of believers whose continued sins will guarantee them VIP seats in the coming tribulation period. Ephesus believers have lost their first love. Sardis believers are doing dead works. Now, Smyrna is persecuted. Pergamos believers are continuing sexual immorality. And Thyatira is not only doing that, but they're also encouraged to be involved in the shedding of innocent blood. The next group of believers Jesus deals with is the richest believers in the history of the world. And of course, that would probably be those of us living in the richest covenant nation in the history of the world, Babylon the Great. The language Jesus used with the church of Laodicea is befittingly harsh. And the sobering part about this group, it probably represents the vast majority of believers within Babylon today. Now, why is that? Because it has everything to do with our money and how we use it. And we all make spend, and try and save as much money as we can. Money today is our only medium of exchange. We might think of ourselves as wonderful people. We don't commit adultery. We're morally clean. We go to church. We read the Bible. We've never shed innocent blood. But in the verses that follow Laodicea, Jesus calls us wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. 
In fact, we're the only group that he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Folks, this is pretty serious. Jesus said, I would that thou were hot or cold. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked? You know, according to Scripture, the only way we can repent or turn things around is giving back to Jesus the very thing he rebukes us for of having, his money. Jesus literally says, I counsel thee, buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that thy shame of thy nakedness do not appear as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. If you spend most of your time making money, then giving money to finance God's works on earth is just like doing the ministry yourself. But if your time is not used making money, letting God use your musical, speaking, counseling, or administration gifts is also a medium of exchange. I can testify in all good conscience that if I had not started tithing at age 32 years old, you would not be getting this teaching, free and postpaid from Prophecy USA. I don't consider this a burden. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to come into your home each week and give you this message. However, the ultimate reward that any generation has ever received is the one coming to those whose scripture says are counted worthy to escape the tribulation period. Welcome to the Church of Philadelphia. The Philadelphian believers do not represent one denomination. Rather, this group of believers can be found within every Christian denomination. No single denomination has a perfect membership of believers, but there are believers within each denomination who have pure hearts and are trying to follow God's word to the best of their knowledge. And it's to those individuals who Jesus said would be counted worthy to escape. Based on the condition of their hearts, God will judge you based on what you know and how you put it into practice and what you've been taught. The more you know, the greater your accountability to obey his word. Now, this group of Philadelphia has passed every test that the other churches have failed. Their first love is Christ. They work and do unto others as they would have them do unto you. They've suffered persecution for their stand and have repented of any immoral activity they were involved in. They've overcome the false teaching of the Nicolaitan leadership, and they've used their money wisely to establish a first fruit blood covenant with the king whom they serve. Now, God and only God will determine who receives this reward of this chosen group of people the Bible calls the Bride of Christ. He says to the Philadelphia believers, I have set before you an open door that no man can shut, for thou hast little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. You know, folks, it's time for each and every one of us to evaluate our relationship with Christ. 
You can't change the past, but you can drastically change your future. And if you feel you've drifted away from God, we encourage you to come back to Him. Because according to Scripture, ready or not, He's coming back for you. We're out of time. This is Prophecy USA, and we're reminding you that Jesus is alive, and He's coming back much sooner than many people think. We'll see you next week on Prophecy USA. Shalom.